1: you return that I might live in my
2: house. Solomon was a leader of leaders. He was a very wise uh, leader. And all wise leaders like Solomon know how to delegate responsibility, how to give out and share authority. He knew how to train and employ the right people for the job. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are a leader, this would be a good thing to follow in Solomon's footsteps.
0: Imagine trying to make a sandwich with only your own two hands. After you grow some wheat, press some olives into oil, and make your own yeast, you might have a loaf of bread. You cannot do life alone. From the food you eat to the car you drive, you depend on others constantly. A good leader understands this principle. The work cannot be completed alone. Today, Pastor Mike looks at the life of Solomon and his leadership. He understood sharing the load. He understood leaning on others. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 4 as he begins his message, Two Kingdoms.
2: Turn with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 4. And uh, we're going to go through this entire chapter. I'm going to summarize some of it for you, because some of it just has a bunch of names that are listed there for us that I can't even pronounce. So I I don't think it's necessary for us to go into those actual names that are listed there for us. But I'll uh, also tell you concerning those individuals whose names are listed, uh, their particular occupations and uh, the different ministries that they had, during uh, Solomon's reign there in the nation of uh, Israel. Okay, so we're in 1 Kings chapter 4. The title of this message is Two Kingdoms. Two Kingdoms. So let's go ahead and begin uh, by reading verse 1. So 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. So King Solomon was king over all of Israel. Okay, let me set up this Bible study for you. Chapter 4 details for us the prosperity of Solomon's kingdom. And listen, as we mentioned last time together, the Lord was good to Solomon, giving him the wisdom for which he had uh, asked him to give him. And uh, remember, uh, when Solomon actually ascended to the throne, he felt that he was inadequate to meet the needs of the people there in his kingdom, that is, the, the nation of Israel. And so God asked him a question. Solomon, ask whatever you want, and it's yours. And so rather than asking for, you know, goods and monetary gain and those sorts of things, he asked God for wisdom so that he might be able to guide and rule over and counsel his people, Israel. In fact, let's quickly go back to chapter 3. And notice, this is the way that God responds to what uh, Solomon had asked him for there in verse 12, chapter 3 and verse 12. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you nor shall any like you arise after you. Well, not only did he respond in that way, God responded in that way and gave him this wisdom, but he also gave to him the riches and honor for which he had not asked. Notice in verse 13 of chapter 3, we read there, and I have also given you... What you have not asked uh, for, both riches and honor, so that there shall none be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. And so the kingdom under Solomon's administration is now brought to the zenith of its glory. It was a time of great peace and prosperity. Now this section here in First Kings in chapter 4 also celebrates Solomon's administrative ability And his intellectual attainments. Now, Solomon, as we will discover as we move through chapter 4, appointed 11 men to serve uh, him in various capacities. Uh, Four of them were priests, uh, sort of like Solomon's cabinet. Okay, let's pick up now in verse 2 of chapter uh, 4. You know, before we actually get into that, you know, just to show how that God had responded to. Solomon's request in giving him that wisdom so that he might rule over God's people. We have a uh, record of what is recorded for us in the previous chapter that we didn't get into last time, but I I, I thought it would be uh, good to mention it, beginning there in verse uh, 16. And under the heading in my Bible, it says Solomon's wise wisdom. And it has to do with a familiar case it is the case, and this demonstrates God's faithfulness to provide that wisdom that Solomon had asked uh, God for. It was the case of Solomon's handling of these two harlots. And uh, also, again, as I mentioned, it was proof of God's uh, faithfulness. So let, let's, let's just go ahead and examine that reference that's recorded first us there, in, beginning in verse 16. Now, two women who were harlots... They were prostitutes. They came to the king, Solomon, and stood before him. And one woman said, "O my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. So these two women come to Solomon and uh, plead their case uh, to him. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay upon him. So obviously, uh, while she was sleeping, she rolled over and suffocated a child. In verse 19, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay upon him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. So what we have here is a switcheroo. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had borne. Then the other woman said, now remember they're both standing before Solomon looking to him to resolve this uh, situation. No, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, The one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. I mean, who do you believe? I mean, think about it. Just put yourself in Solomon's shoes for a moment. I mean, who do you believe? So Solomon is facing quite a dilemma here, right? They're looking to him to resolve this situation. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, "Oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. Notice in verse 25, the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. And the reason why he did this was because Solomon knew that the real mother wouldn't allow that to take place. Well, notice the one whose son had actually died and switched the dead child to the woman whose child remained alive. The other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. And so the king answered and said, he knew now who was the true uh, mother, give the first woman to the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel, notice the way that Israel had responded to this edict of the king. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, or they reverenced the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. In other words, they reveled in his wisdom, and therefore they knew that the right man had now ascended to the throne. And anyway... So the kingdom is brought, as I mentioned before, to the zenith of its glory. It was a time of great peace and prosperity. Also, as I've already mentioned, this section also celebrates Solomon's administrative ability and his intellectual attainments. And Solomon appointed 11 men to serve him in various capacities. Four of them were priests. Again, sort of like Solomon's uh, cabinet. Okay, now let's pick up in chapter 4, in verse 2, verses 2 and 3. And these were his officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, and Horif, and Ahijah, the sons of Shishah. Uh, they were uh, scribes. Now, the thing that I wanted to draw your attention to before we actually break these down for you, these different positions that had been given these individuals, Solomon was a leader of leaders. He was a very wise uh, leader. And all wise leaders, like Solomon, know how to delegate responsibility, how to give out and share authority. He knew how to train and employ the right people for the job. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are a leader, this would be a good thing to follow in Solomon's footsteps. Okay, so let's break this down for you. Notice the first category is the scribes, as referred to by these two uh, men. Now, scribes back then were sort of like secretaries, and they were caring for the kings in the area of correspondence. Notice the next fellow who's mentioned there, Jehoshaphat in verse 3, the son of uh, Ahilud, and he was the recorder. Okay, so what was his responsibility? Well, he was sort of like the king's uh, keeper of records. And he was supervising the king's archive. He was in charge of the palace ceremonies, protocol, Uh, he reported public news to the king. He was also the king's spokesman. And Jehoshaphat actually served sort of like uh, the equivalent of today's secretary of state. Okay, let's go on now. Verse 4. And then we have Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army uh, Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Okay, so this fellow Benaiah, notice we are told that he was over the host that is he was the head of Solomon's army. And then in verse 5 we're also introduced to in our cast of characters a fellow whose name was Azariah, the son of Nathan. And he was over the officers uh, Zabed, the son of Nathan a priest and the king's uh, friend. Now this fellow, Azariah, was over the officers, we are told. That is, he was in charge of district governors. And so the nation had these different districts, and in each district there was a place over that district, a particular a governor who saw to the affairs of that district. And then in verse 6, we are told Ahishar was placed over the household, and Ananiram the son of Abda, over the household labor force. Okay, so two men are listed here. We have Ahisha, he was over the household. and In other words, he supervised Solomon's household staff. And in the latter part of verse 6, we're introduced to Adoniram, who we are told was over the tribute, or basically, he was in charge of the to collect the, the tribute or the taxes. He was also over Solomon's labor force. And then in verse 7, we are told, and Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel, and uh, they served in all of the different 12 tribes of Israel, who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the uh, year, 12 months in a year. So they were responsible, all of these 12 men that are listed here that I'm not going to go through their names, They were responsible for providing for the needs of the king and his household. Each district responsible for the provision of one month out of the year. And listen, let me tell you something. This was no small thing. When you consider all of the different wives and concubines of Solomon, there was 1,000 of them in all, not including the servants of Solomon and everybody else. And it took a lot of uh, food. And then in verses 8 through 19, we have mention of the names of those to oversee this uh, provision. Let's jump ahead now to verse 22, where we are told about what was involved and what constituted the daily uh, provision that was made for Solomon's household. In verse uh, 22, let's go ahead and read that. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, and 60 cores of meal. So actually these cores is a reference to bushels. So actually 30 measures of fine uh, flour, a measure was uh, the equivalent of 10 bushels, so 300 bushels a day, Uh, 60 measures of meal, so that would entail 600 uh, bushels. In verse 23, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures. Now remember, this is just in one day's provision uh, for uh, Solomon's household. 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. So you have 10 fat oxen, prime beef, 20 oxen out of the positive commercial grade, and then you have the sheep, the deer, the fowls, etc. So quite a large amount of provision that was needed daily to provide for uh, Solomon's household. Now, beginning in verse 29, having given us, by summary, of the prosperity of Solomon and his kingdom, the author returns to the subject of the king's wisdom. So let's go ahead and read that. And the wisdom he sets forth in these verses goes far beyond the judicial and administrative skills already mentioned. So let's read verses 29 through 31. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart, like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, and then we have the mention of these men, Particularly, I want to emphasize Ethan, the Ezraite, who, by the way, just a little bit of trivia concerning this man, he was the writer and the recorder of the 89th Psalm. And this fellow Ethan was one of the singers that was a part of David's administration. He was one of the singers that sang that were a part of uh, the worship of uh, God during the days of David when he reigned as king. And obviously, this fellow Ethan was known for his uh, wisdom. And then we have mention of the other men there in the verse 31. uh, Heman, Coy, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all of the surrounding uh, nations. So here it seems as if the writer attributes wisdom to Solomon. It's as if he is saying all true wisdom is measured against Solomon's capacities. And so there was no man after Solomon right up into the very present time that was more wiser than Solomon was. Now this was a blessing and an anointing that God had placed upon uh, Solomon. The equivalent of that, I would just think about some of the wisest men that we know throughout history. Don't hold a candle to Uh, Solomon, And again, it's as if he is saying all true wisdom is measured against Solomon's capacity. And yes, wisdom can be defined by one's skills in the accomplishments of business affairs and the handling of people. And yes, Solomon did excel in those areas. But it was so much more than that. So let me raise the question. Let me ask you the question. How would you respond to it? What is true wisdom? And how was it revealed in Solomon, through Solomon and his administration? This constitutes true wisdom. True wisdom is a proper discernment between good and uh, evil, between virtue and vice, duty and self-indulgence. Listen, gang, that's wisdom. And it's not wisdom that you gain through attending some university or get from uh, some textbook that you've read. This is something that is endowed to us in our relationship, in our walk with God. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. And by the way, so this is attainable for all of us. That is, as we walk with God, as we seek Him. In the 111th Psalm, in verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord, or the reverence of the Lord, in our relationship with Him, honoring Him, in our respect towards the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So that's the uh, true wisdom. And that's where true wisdom is uh, found. But then also notice, let's go back to our text there in verse 29. We are told Solomon is said to also have possessed understanding as well. Now what does that constitute? Well, let me give you a working definition for understanding. That would be the ability to discern intelligently, the difference between truth and error. And how important is that in the days in which we live, where there are so many voices out there that are telling us this is true, or that is false. So it's very important to have that, be, uh, that ability to be able to discern between what is true and what is uh, false. What is reality? And what is a sham? Between the deceptive attraction of a moment and the long-range values that govern a successful uh, life. Uh, you know, an example of this would be, you know, we have an opportunity to sin. You know, some kind of a, an opportunity uh, arises where we're tempted uh, to sin comes before us. Well, true understanding is revealed in that that person who is being influenced to do the wrong thing pauses and considers its consequences. We don't run headlong into a sin. That's true understanding. And by the way, that's something that we only can acquire through the study and the application of God's uh, word. You know, our body appetites are just craving to fulfill the desires and the lusts of our, our flesh. But if we have understanding, we'll pause to consider its consequences. So we won't run headlong into sin when the opportunity provides uh, that for us. That is understanding. But also notice in verse 29, we are told concerning Solomon that he possessed largeness of heart. That is a large breadth of interest. Let's go on now in our text. Let's read uh, the rest of chapter 4, verse 32. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. We know that he was the writer of the book of Proverbs, the book of Wisdom. And his songs were one thousand and five. So he actually composed one thousand and five uh, songs. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of uh, Solomon.
1: In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be.
0: Oh, my Every person's life goes through different seasons. There are seasons of war and seasons of rest and each season has a purpose. When Solomon became king, he said this, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemy surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so... I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Are you in a season of rest? Those seasons are given to us so that we can have time to build. What are you building for the Lord in this season? You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Finizio. Pastor Mike has been teaching his way through the book of 1 Kings, and we've been learning so much together. I'm glad you've been here for it. I don't know about you, but hearing these great messages makes me hungry for even more. If that's you, boy, are you in luck. We have additional audio available to you through one place, Or you can head over to our website and click on the headphones in the Resources tab. That website is harvestnyc.org. Once again, harvestnyc.org. Or you can subscribe to our podcast and listen at your leisure. If you'd prefer to watch instead of just listen, we've got messages for you as well. On our website, there is a link to Vimeo. Check it out. And be sure to come back again as Pastor Mike continues this series through the book of 1 Kings, right here on In My Father's House. I
1: love to be oh my heart, not be troubled.